of course, giving someone decision-making power in your business can be kind of scary, but I've been building a team and having a team for over, I want to say six to seven years. And over time you build trust with people and you develop your leadership style and you realize that your business is not as fragile as you used to worry that it is. And it is safe to trust people in your business. Of course, that means hiring the right people and training them and being a strong leader and having a strong vision. But once you have all those pieces, then having someone else have decision power does really help just streamline things and clear some bottlenecks. Welcome to Make Bank with Marie Wold. I'm Marie, and for the last decade, I've been helping women set and hit unrealistic goals while building their definition of a rich life. This podcast is your ultimate destination for unfiltered discussions about personal development, entrepreneurship, wellness, confidence, wealth building, relationships, and so much more. We're creating our dream lives together, and I'm so glad you're here. Now let's jump into today's episode. Welcome, welcome back to the pod. I'm so glad you're here and looking forward to spending some time with you chatting about what exactly my team of over 10 amazing women does and how they've helped me scale my business. This is something that I'm always talking about with my clients. Like it's a constant conversation from my more beginner clients and online coach Kickstart who are curious about what the future looks like to my more advanced clients in online coach empire mastermind and my private clients, they get especially like all access behind the scenes pass of how things work, what it looks like. Like I'm not afraid to pull back the curtain, lift up the hood, if you will. And they really get like all the details, but I understand that it's really like intriguing and mysterious and kind of unclear exactly how a seven figure coaching business could operate. Like I didn't really get this modeled to me until I hired the mentor that I have now who I've been with for five years. Before that, I just had no freaking clue what it would take from like an operations standpoint, from like a manpower or really woman power perspective, what it would look like from an overhead perspective, what it would look like. Because the reality is if you're, if you want to make big money, you better get used to spending big money. Like big money comes in, big money goes out. And of course, profit margins are always like a priority, but it's real. Like overhead is real and building a team is real and expenses are real. It's all real. But I have never really seen someone talk about this in detail, like for free. Like I had to hire a mentor to really understand like how her team was built and how things are running and how she was able to support the amount of clients that she supported and create the amount of content that she created and be super omnipresent. And so I want to give you a little bit of the the down low. Like I want to give you a little bit of context and help you understand the inner workings of a seven-figure coaching business Because to me, when I was first starting, that was just like so far away, so unrealistic, so inconceivable. Because when I first started my coaching business, I had like 10 clients and they were paying me like $200 a month. And I felt like my business was duct taped together. I was doing everything myself. I was struggling to even like do that well. I was also in college at the time and was just struggling to juggle it all. So to have a seven-figure coaching business, I would have like not even believed you that that was possible. So I'm going to explain a little bit of how it's possible. Of course, there's so many moving pieces and this doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of the strategies that we're using and like the structures of my program and how we generate enough leads to make seven figures and um, the actual like client facing pieces of how I coach and boundaries and expectations and how my programs work and all of the things, the mindset piece, the energetics piece. I have lots more episodes on that. The productivity piece episodes 
already exists on that. So I want to just dedicate this episode specifically to zooming in on what my team of over 10 women does and how that has helped me scale. But I also am going to give you a little bit more detail about like past iterations of team, like what my first hire was, other hires I've made, lessons that I've learned about leading a team, running a team, um, and really how I think about each role and what each role does. So buckle up because we have a lot to cover. So when it comes to my first hire, like if we're going in chronological order, my actual first hire was my first business mentor. And I joined a mastermind with Jenna Kutcher. Now, not everyone needs to spend multiple five figures (laughs) to join a mastermind as their first mentor. Like I definitely did the most (laughs) with that being my first hire. But regardless the reason why that was such a good move, like I'm so glad that that was my first hire, which technically like you don't consider your mentor as part of your team per se, but I digress. The reason why that was such a good first hire is because then it showed me how to build a team the right way and how to scale the right way so that I wasn't then like hiring someone that maybe wasn't a fit, not giving them the correct like leadership and guidance around what I wanted them to do and the projects we were doing and how things were going to be run. Like if I would have hired, let's say a virtual assistant first, which ended up being my actual first team hire. If I would have hired a virtual assistant before ever working with a mentor of any type, I think I would have had them doing a lot of busy work that didn't move the needle. I think I would have like not really known how to utilize them properly. I think I would have hired someone who maybe wasn't the right fit for what I actually needed. I would have maybe prioritized the wrong skills or personality traits or like platforms they were familiar with, that sort of thing. Like I think that that just would have been kind of a messy situation for my first hire and just kind of aimless. Like that would have been very much spaghetti method, throwing spaghetti at the wall and like hoping that it worked. I would have, I just knew that like I was too busy. I was working too much, not getting enough things done. And I knew that in order to scale, I needed help, but that was kind of all I knew without having hired my mentor. Now, Once I got clear on like where the leaks were in my business, what levers I needed to pull to be able to grow, where I was the bottleneck, where we could streamline and get more efficient, like that allowed me to then make the right first hire. And um, my first hire was kind of a generalist virtual assistant and she became the catch-all for any admin and busy work. And now I don't want to like overhype a mentor before virtual assistant. Like I don't want to overhype that order of operations because a really great virtual assistant could also be a bit of like an advisor and help you kind of audit the back end of your business. However, that's not usually where people start and that's not where I would have known (laughs) to start either. Um, But some more like really seasoned veteran virtual assistants can take a little bit more of like a hand-holding role. However, a more like classic or newer, especially virtual assistant is usually going to be kind of like at your direction and they are waiting for you to guide them and lead them and delegate things. And so if you don't really know what you should be leading them and delegating to them, like that's going to be messy. So my first virtual assistant was awesome. She was like the catch-all for any kind of admin and busy work. Some examples of things that she took off my plate would be like managing my email inbox. That was huge. Now I basically like hardly use email, but I definitely needed her in order to make that possible now. She did a lot of like my client management, client onboarding, client offboarding, contracts, um, customer service. So for example, if clients had issues like accessing their client portal or getting their contract or booking in their calls or whatever it was, um, she would do any tech builds. So building any automations or new workflows we were doing, um, make any updates to our tech platforms, troubleshooting why things were broken, <laughs> um, 
even back then I was doing a lot of brand deals and like influencer stuff still. So she helped me kind of manage and stay on top of brand partnerships and pitches and projects. She also helped me repurpose and bank content. So my first virtual assistant just took a lot of that like busy work off my plate. And it wasn't even just like, oh, she saved me, you know, two hours a week or whatever it is. But it was also all of the time and energy that leaks from me having to like context switch, which means like switching the type of tasks you're doing to handle all of these little like annoying tasks that pull you out of your focus, pull you out of your zone of genius. So like, yes, let's say she worked two hours a week, my first virtual assistant, but it saved me more than two hours because then I was more effective at everything else because I wasn't getting my attention pulled all these different ways. And I knew that all of the kind of back end like admin stuff was taken care of. So that was my first hire. And that was a great idea. That was an amazing idea that worked so well. And I have never really been without a virtual assistant ever since. Now I have a team of over 10. So a virtual assistant is just like two of those 10 people. Um, But that was my first hire. And oftentimes the biggest mistake I see people making with hiring a VA is they just wait too long. And what happens is they get to a place where they are so busy, so bogged down, so overwhelmed that like they don't even have the ability to onboard someone and like create an SOP standard operating procedure library and like show people show the person the hire like how things run and what they want them to do they aren't even available to like answer questions things like that and so my recommendation is if your business is established and you're finding yourself getting in the weeds a lot but you still aren't like dying like gasping for air hire your VA now, like start doing that right now. Because if you wait until you are so busy that you can't even fathom putting aside the time and energy to hire, you're kind of screwed. Like you're just going to have to push through it and figure it out. Okay. So first hire virtual assistant. And that's often the ideal first hire for like a lot of my clients. A few other hires that I've made but don't have anymore is I had um, an online business manager. I have actually have had multiple online business managers in my day. And now I don't have an OBM, but I have a COO, a chief operations officer, but like a fractional COO. By the way, all of my team members are independent contractors. I don't have any full-time employees except for myself in my business. Um, And I'm technically considered an employee because my business has elected S-corp status, which is a whole like tax and um, business structure strategy thing. I'm not a tax advisor or a financial professional, so I will not be giving you advice on that. But that's what we do. And none of my team members are employees. They're all independent contractors. Um, No one works full-time. Probably my most like time-based, my highest time working (laughs) Um, team member currently is my lead virtual assistant working over um, about about 20 hours a week, I would say. So anyway, I digress. Some other hires that I've had in the past but don't currently have would be online business manager. And I'll explain kind of the difference between an OBM and a COO in a minute. Online business manager, I also have had a personal assistant slash house manager at times. Um, and that was amazing, but just kind of like not always needed in my experience. Um, And she did things literally just like helping me run my personal life, Um, running errands, helping with like packages, PO boxes. This is when I was doing, again, like a lot of influencer stuff. So it was like PR and um, like brand stuff, brand deal stuff and um, helping with like giveaways. And she also helped me with like organizing my home and running errands, getting groceries, helping me like prep meals. She would help with laundry sometimes, like literally a just catch all human who like helped me keep my life together. And at that time I was like traveling a lot. So she'd help me organize for my trips and things like that. And she would come over like once a week or so. Um, so that was like a fun hire. I don't think 
at this point that's necessary for me. I think if or when I have kids, I would definitely want like in-person help in my home again. Um, but as of now, not super necessary, especially because I've moved to a four-day work week this year. So we're we're vibing. We're fine on the on the literal home front. Um, I also at a time had a content writer in my team, and that was honestly a fail. That was huge, huge fail. Like logically, you think, oh, well, if I have a content writer, like then it will take me less time to make content because writing and like making the content takes time, right? And like you're not wrong. However, <laughs> I have been creating content for over a decade. I'm extremely like strategic and intentional and quite frankly, picky about my content. And it just was not it. Like they just didn't really nail my voice the way that I would have wanted. And the process ended up being that I had to like kind of come up with a concept and come up with like the goal of the content, give them like the headline or the hook and then like outline, like here are the talking points I want you to cover. And then they would write it and I'd come back and edit it to finalize it. And so by the end, like it took me the same amount of time as if I was just going to write it. I think maybe a way that that would have worked better is if someone was more in charge of like the strategy and ideas of the content and not so much just like writing and making the content because I could have just done that faster. Like at this point, once I have an idea and once I have the general structure of a piece of content, like that's the hard part. I can just knock it out. So that was a fail. That was a waste of money. That was a waste of time. Um, my other like hires that I've made have all kind of stuck with me in terms of like roles. I haven't had any other roles where I was like, wow, that was just huge fail. <laughs> but um, I do have some lessons from hiring overall that I'm going to talk about at the end. So without further ado, let's talk about the team that I have right now, like who is currently on my team on a consistent basis. I do also have some like project-based contractors that I pull in as needed. And I'll give some examples of that in a minute. But the people that I'm about to go over and the roles I'm about to talk about are the people that are in my team, like on retainer all the time. They're in it. And I have between like 12, 11 and 15 team members, depending on how you want to count it, which I'll explain as we go. But my first and like most expensive, my most involved team member is my fractional COO, chief operations officer. And there is a bit of a difference between an OBM and a COO. Like I said earlier, I have previously had online business managers and the role of the OBM is to make sure that the right things get done in the right way at the right time by the right people. So they are a mix of like planning systems, project management and team management. And really the specialty of the OBM is to navigate like the six early six to seven figure journey for like online businesses. Like this is pretty specific to the online space. They're not typically going to be someone who's like, really strategic, like making strategic decisions on your behalf. They're not going to be as kind of involved in like the vision. They're going to be more of a manager versus a COO, which is often sometimes called an integrator as well, is usually just a bit more hands-on, a bit more sophisticated. They're bringing more things into the mix. They might have responsibility for their overall strategy. So like if I set the vision, how are we going to reach the vision? They are going to be a bit more hands-on probably with team management. Like my COO is really hands-on when it comes to even hiring and vetting potential hires, interviewing them, um, onboarding them even letting go of people. Um, she even helps with legal and finance things as well. Like she is very, very hands-on. And this type of role generally makes more sense around like once you are nearing or at the seven-figure stage, when the business needs someone who's just like more dedicated, more hands-on, more like in every kind of element and able to 
bring more strategy and support to the vision. And by the way, I pulled some of those um, kind of wording from tinaforsyth.com. She had a good explanation because I do feel like sometimes OBM and COO slash integrator can also be called becomes a little bit of like blurred lines. Like I think that the names are somewhat interchangeable, but I do find them to be different based on the OBMs versus COOs that I've hired. Now, my COO, Tamara, is like really my right hand. Like she is the integrator to my visionary. If you have ever read the book, Rocket Fuel, um, you know those terms. And I really do recommend that book if you are looking to scale a business and really step into like the visionary CEO role. Rocket Fuel is a great book. I will link it in the episode description. But basically the dynamic between me and Tamara is like I set the vision and I am usually setting and casting like the overall strategy for what we're doing, how I'd like the execution to look. But like it's her job to create the nitty gritty plan of action and then lead team members who are executing the thing. She also is managing the operations team. I have given her decision-making power She is like the container for my chaos. She is the gatekeeper. (laughs) And if we had like a formal org chart, which we don't, but if we did, she would be kind of directly beneath me. Like it would be me and then her in two lines and then kind of everyone else would be the next layer um, with everyone technically reporting to her. However, it's definitely not that cut and dry. Like there are several team members that I'll talk about that I do talk to directly, but especially for like day-to-day operations, um, onboarding new hires and things like that. Like she is their main point of contact um, and she's really running the team so that my attention and energy is not being pulled a million different ways. And I can really focus on my zone of genius, which by the way, my role within my company is I'm the visionary, I'm the CEO, meaning I set the vision, I am deciding what our goals are, what impact we want to make, what numbers we want to hit, what programs we're running, all those things. However, me and Tamara do like collaborate on the vision. And it's often like a bit of a conversation between me and my mentor, me and Tamara. Like I have kind of my two people that are helping me dial things in, clarify, get really anchored into what the vision is. Um, So my role is really the visionary in that realm. My role is head coach. So I spend a lot of time coaching my clients, whether that is in our Slack containers on a day-to-day basis, whether that's on coaching calls, whether that is creating resources and curriculums for them. And then also a huge role of mine is content and marketing. So the organic attraction marketing part of the business is obviously a huge part of what I do, whether it's recording podcast episodes, making Instagram content, creating email campaigns, launching live events, um, even hosting client retreats or perhaps doing um, creating content, like actually doing the photo shoots or making the reels or writing the captions, whatever it is. And those are kind of my three things. Like I'm the visionary, I'm the head coach, and I'm the content creator. Basically anything outside of those, my team does. So anything that's taking me out of those three things is typically considered like a leak to us. So one of Tamara's key roles too is to identify and like plug leaks and really keep me focused and keep me efficient and keep me effective so that we are always moving forward and I'm not kind of getting in the weeds and also that I'm not becoming the bottleneck because this is super, super common that maybe you even hire the team and you have the right people in place, but people end up waiting for you to make decisions or review things or get back to them, whatever. Um, And so Tamara is a great person that like just ensures that bottlenecks aren't happening. And that is a big reason why she has decision-making power um, in my team because she can clear bottlenecks essentially on my behalf. Of course, giving someone decision-making power in your business can be kind of scary, but I've been building a team and having a team for 
over, I want to say six to seven years. And over time you build trust with people and you develop your leadership style and you realize that your business is not as fragile as you used to worry that it is. And it is safe to trust people in your business. Of course, that means hiring the right people and training them and being a strong leader and having a strong vision. But once you have all those pieces, then having someone else have decision power does really help just streamline things and clear some bottlenecks. So the next like big operations person in my business that I literally could not do this without is my lead virtual assistant. Her name is Danny. Danny is just like an angel from heaven in my business. She just gets it. And if you have an established business and you've had a team for a while, you know the difference between someone who can do it versus someone who gets it, right? And like Danny gets it. And Danny, if you're listening to this, because I know you listen to the episodes a lot, I love you so much. You're the best. Couldn't do it without you. Wouldn't want to do it without you. You get it. So Danny kind of executes on like daily, weekly, monthly basis. And by the way, when I say she gets it, she's proactive. Like she doesn't just do exactly the list, if you will, the list that I'm about to give. She's also proactive. She understands how each of the pieces of my business talk to each other and fit together. So she connects the dots and is like, oh, well, if we change this thing over here, then I'm going to make sure that's reflected here. Or I'm going to preemptively update this thing so that that doesn't break or whatever. Like she's she's able to see the bigger picture and understand how everything's related. She knows my business like the back of her her hand at this point. And she just has a great work ethic. She's amazing. So anyway, a lot of Danny's um, roles are broken down into daily, weekly, monthly kind of basis. So on the daily, and I'm probably going to miss some things, like this is a non-exhaustive list, but just to give you some examples. Um, on a daily basis, Danny is handling customer service. So she's in our support inbox. Um, some examples of that would be like helping clients get access to things. If, for example, there was an error in their onboarding for some reason, or if they didn't realize the email went to spam, the email exists, they just didn't see it. Or if they have questions about their billing, they need to update their credit card. They want to pay off their balance early. So she sends them a custom invoice. Um, They need assistance booking in for a coaching call. They have questions about the schedule. Whatever it is, Danny is in the customer service inbox and is amazing there. Um, She also handles all like the onboarding and offboarding of clients. A lot of that is and can be automated, but there are parts of it that need a human and she oversees also that all the automations are performing as designed and that everything's working properly. So she's always kind of like cross-checking things. She's resolving failed payments. She's troubleshooting any tech issues. Like we have things so set up and so streamlined at this point, but things still break, things still happen. Like Mercury goes into reverse cowgirl and it's a whole thing. And so Danny is on the daily like putting out little fires and just overall making sure everything is chugging along. On a weekly basis, she's doing things like banking and organizing and repurposing content. So for example, everything I post on Instagram automatically gets pulled into this content bank. She goes in on a weekly basis and categorizes um, each of the things. So let's say if I'm launching online coach kickstart. Like if we're doing a live launch, for example, I can go into our content bank and search all of the content that is tagged by online coach kickstart. So I can go in and look at what posts I was talking about that program. I can pull and repurpose or take inspiration from or repost any of those things. And so it just extends the life cycle of content that I've made because you don't always need to be reinventing the wheel 
there are a lot of times that we kind of rinse and repeat um, or add a fresh spin and the content bank makes that possible. We also use the content bank to help us with our email list, with even podcast ideas, and it overall just becomes this amazing like body of work that makes our life easier in the future. And the bigger it gets, the better it gets. On a weekly basis, she's also moving projects forward. So a couple of projects that we're working on right now are building out a new recurring revenue tracker that is super, super accurate because we found that the payment processors um, that we're using are kind of mistracking um, what our recurring revenue looks like. And so our forecasting is not as accurate as it could be. Um, She's setting up automations for the upcoming 2024 vision board party and making sure that when you go to that page and you register that you get the right confirmation email and you get the right time and that the like Zoom link is plugged in and set up and all of that. So she is working on projects like that. And Tamara, my COO, is overseeing all of those projects and identifying like what all those moving pieces are. And then for example, on a monthly basis, she's doing things like scouting and scheduling my podcast guests and my interviews. Like if you have loved anyone on the podcast, chances are Danny found that person and like got them booked in. I come up with the questions and I show up for the interview, but like she, she has the ideas usually. Um, She organizes and communicates the coaching schedule. So when you have multiple programs that are really coaching heavy, so for example, Online Coach Kickstart and Online Coach Empire Mastermind both average a coaching call every week. Um, Not all with me, but like I am on a good amount of calls every month. Um, Maybe like mm, 15, 20 hours of calls a month. Um, she is collaborating with me and our support coaches. She is setting up the calls in the various platforms, whether that's Zoom or whatever. She's um, organizing all of it and make sure that there's no conflicts or issues. She is communicating that to then the clients in each program. And so that's like a sizable project that she's doing every single month. And she just overall is like making sure that everything is working and everything is running and she is an angel on earth. Danny also has an assistant. So we have an assistant, virtual assistant, <laughs> who Danny can delegate things to. And she will usually do things that are a li- little bit more like tedious or task oriented. Um, typically an assistant VA, an assistant to the assistant, assistant to the regional manager, if you will. Um, office reference, if you didn't get that. Uh <laughs> But usually that will be a more like junior virtual assistant who maybe doesn't have as much experience um, or hasn't built as robust of a skill set. So they are doing a little bit more of those like tedious kind of almost task rabbit type tasks. Um, And that is who Danny will delegate to if she is full. Like if she doesn't have enough hours to complete everything, then she will delegate. From there, we have my podcast manager and her team. So that's why I say like it kind of depends how you count the numbers. But my podcast manager, Kate, also has a team under her because she has a podcast agency. So there's editors. There are her support people who are like coordinating with me. Um, there's There's more people than just her. So... Her and her team are the ones who are getting this file right now. They're going to edit it and make sure that there are no mistakes, that the audio quality is good, that if my dogs are barking in an interview, having a WWE SmackDown in my office, that that gets edited out. If I mess up, if my interviewee forgets the question, whatever it is, like they are doing that. They're also um, pulling the audio bite kind of preview, putting it at the beginning. Then we have the show intro. Um, If we have any like ad reads or little promos, whether it's for the webinar or for a launch that we're doing or whatever, they're putting all those things in and they're publishing, they're creating the graphics. So they're basically, as soon as the episode is recorded, they 
handle everything else. And they also are, are actually collaborating with my VAs to make that happen as well. So they are running the ball. Like I give them the episode and they run the episode the rest of the way until it gets published. The next hire or the next person on my team, which by the way, these aren't in like a super particular order, but that would be my ads manager. That would be my ads manager who also has a team under her. So again, like I guess you could consider maybe even like 17 people on my team, but like not really. Like I hire my ads manager and she has people help her do her job, but I don't hire, I didn't hire the people under her, right? You know, it's, it's a gray area. I digress. My ads manager is in charge of running all of our paid traffic funnels. So we do a lot of organic marketing. I made my first seven figures without any ads. And most of my clients honestly don't use much by way of ads. Um, I have a handful that run paid ads. Most don't nor do you need them to have a successful business. But if you get to the point where your offers are proven, your organic marketing is super successful, your sales process is rocking and rolling, and you want to add more fuel to the fire, that's what ads are for. So we do run ads. We run ads to our evergreen funnel for online coach kickstart. We also run ads if we are doing a live launch. Um, We'll run retargeting ads. And we are overall using ads to get more people into my world. Some of that even is like top of funnel stuff, whether it's like a freebie or um, a reel, things like that. So we always have kind of a bit of a diversified ad strategy. And again, it's just a way to add fuel to the fire. So she is always in my business manager, Facebook business manager, um, adjusting the audience targeting, adjusting the ad images or videos, the copy, the um, call to action. Like there's a lot of actual active managing that happens with ads. It's not really a thing that you can like set it and forget it. Um, Or sometimes the cost per lead just like freaks out for no reason. And then they have to go in and rebuild the whole campaign and blah, blah, blah. So it's quite like an active role in the business. Um, It's not like the good old days like five years ago where you could just kind of like throw something out there (laughs) and like 5x your ad spend. It is a whole last job. So very important person on my team. And my paid traffic funnels are really just a way for us to scale programs without needing to only rely on, let's say, organic content, like rely on Instagram, rely on my email list to do all of the lead generation. So that's really great. And I have you know, several clients who use ads in their businesses really successfully, or I have several more who are building out their funnels that they're going to start running ads to. Like it's definitely has a time and its place, a time and a place, but it is not for everyone. And I don't recommend running ads. This is a tangent, but I don't recommend running ads if your business is still kind of getting at sea legs and you're not super confident about your marketing, about your organic lead gen, about your sales processes really easy to waste a lot of money testing things and it not working with ads. Okay. So I have my ads manager and then I also have my bookkeeper who handles the finance things. So typical bookkeeper things, she is reconciling and like categorizing transactions every month. She's monitoring profits and looking for opportunities to optimize. She is advising on budget decisions and monitoring that we hit said budget. Um, She helps us prep for tax filings. She makes recommendations on like savings and estimated tax payments, things like that. And my bookkeeper really helps me sleep at night because to be honest, that side of my business is not my strong suit. I'm really great at making money. I'm really great at like sales, marketing, coaching, all the things. But the bookkeeping and finances and taxes were something that really kept a girl up at night early on in my business before I made this hire. Um, And if that's you too, I cannot recommend a bookkeeper enough. Like they more than pay for themselves and just are such good peace of mind. And then last but not least on my like always 
on retainer team is I have several support coaches within my programs, especially an online coach kickstart. I am the head coach of all of my programs and no matter which program you join, like you're going to see me, you're going to work with me, but I see my support coaches as like multipliers and as like cherry on top bonus. All of my support coaches are literally world-class and add another layer of expertise or another angle or another like industry or just more experience. Like I think an online coach kickstart um, between all of us, there's like over 35 years or so of online coaching industry experience. It's actually incredible like how deep the knowledge and expertise and wisdom is amongst the support coaches and that just allows people to feel so so supported like when you come in there's for sure someone who you vibe with there's for sure someone that has like hands-on experience in literally whatever niche you could pick there is always someone who is like going to get back to you quickly like you are so supported and that's the entire purpose behind having support coaches is to make all of my programs even my beginner program online coach kickstart like so so supportive so personalized so high touch um and honestly better than it could be if I just was running the program alone. And it also allows us to obviously have a bigger capacity, a richer community, just all the things. Um, So couldn't and wouldn't want to do it without my amazing support coaches. We currently have um, five in total and they are just the absolute bomb, like the best women and incredible what they do. And they're also all highly, highly trained in my strategies and frameworks. They all have successful coaching businesses of their own. Um, and we're just so aligned on strategies. So they truly are the dream team and just make my programs better and better and more supportive. So that is my always team, if you will. My COO, my lead virtual assistant, my assistant to the virtual assistant, junior VA, my podcast manager and her team, my ads manager and her team, my bookkeeper and my five support coaches. I also do have a project team kind of like on standby. So we have people that we go to and pull in if we have specific projects. That includes a copywriter, um, a brand strategist and designer, a brand photographer, um, a retreat planner, consultants. So for example, this year I brought in someone to consult on our sales funnel and do kind of this whole like audit and revamp of our evergreen sales funnel. Because when you've been selling the same thing and running the same funnel for years and years, it's just really easy to kind of get too close and like not see opportunities to refine and improve. So that was a project we did this year. Um, I have obviously a tax um, advisor and preparer. I have a funnel builder who like built out the tech side of the evergreen funnel because there's a lot of moving pieces there. So I have this amazing team too of contractors that are kind of on standby that I pull in as needed. And they especially work on things like launching a new program or building a new sales process or rebranding, like anything where we are doing something new, a new offer, a new branding iteration, a new funnel, they come in and make magic. So I have like a really badass team of women on my, in my business and making all the things happen. Like a seven figure coaching business does not just occur. It does not just happen on accident. It does not just fall out of the sky. Like it, it is built with intention. It is built with sweat equity. It is built with strategy and it is built with women who are really freaking smart and good at what they do. So of course, having a team like this, we have expenses every month. Like we have overhead. We have, um, bills to pay. And when, you know, let's say you enroll in one of my programs, like, you are contributing to the paychecks of all of these people and they're able to work from home and have a flexible schedule and provide for their families and do what they love and work in their zone of genius and 
be appreciated and have location freedom and blah, blah, blah. So it's just like really beautiful. Like that's the other just amazing part of having a big business is not just like the accomplishment and the accolades of it or just the financial success of it. It is also that I get to work with amazing team members and support them and their families um, by association. And it's really beautiful and it's really fun. Of course, there are lessons and there are like leadership evolutions that need to happen to be able to have a team and hold the expenses and hold the pressure and do the things and not be the bottleneck. But a few of my kind of top lessons that I want to just quickly pass on before we wrap this episode up is number one, have two to three good candidates to choose from whenever you're hiring. Like if you are like, okay, I need to hire my first person. I'm hiring a virtual assistant now. Make sure that you have two to three good candidates to choose from. Don't hire the first person that you like because that's something that I used to do. Like I would just be like, oh my God, I love her. Like love her vibe. We get along. She seems good, blah, blah, blah. But once we get a little deeper in, the the cracks start kind of showing through of like where it maybe wasn't the best fit possible. And so now I always make sure that I have two to three good candidates to choose between. And of course, that makes it a little harder to make a decision because then you're like, oh, frick, I have to like actually like make a hard decision. But in the end, you end up with a better candidate. And you also know that you did your due diligence to find the best person from your role. It also encourages you to make sure that you have a bit more of like a diverse background, diverse expertise, and making sure that you have like kind of representation within your hiring pool. Um, Another thing is to have a really good SOP library, standard operating procedure, because if you are manually like one-off training every person that comes into your business, it is going to be extremely expensive time and energy-wise to hire and fire. Like every time, if you're starting from scratch, every time you bring someone new in, you're going to have a bad time. We have a documented SOP standard operating procedure for like every recurring thing that happens in my business. So for example, when my lead VA, Danny, went on maternity leave, we had a temporary lead VA step in and she could just kind of like plug into Danny's role. Of course, there was still some lag time of her like really learning the ropes and getting up to speed, but we had every everything already laid out and explained of exactly everything Danny does and how she does it so that there wasn't a lot of like handholding or leg time that happened to get that person up to speed. Another lesson is that it's still expensive to hire somebody cheaper. Like price shopping your team members is often a trap. And I know that, for example, there are a lot of people that want to hire a virtual assistant for minimum wage. They want to hire a virtual assistant for like $10 an hour, $8 an hour, $5 an hour, whatever. Um, I don't do that. I pay even my virtual assistant, who is like one of the most essential members of my business, I pay her well. And that is because number one, she deserves it. And because I want the women on my team to be well compensated for their time and effort and expertise, but also you're paying for quality. Like she is really efficient. She doesn't make a lot of mistakes. She is really proactive. She is great for my clients to deal with when they do need to contact support. She is very responsive. She has a lot of experience. Like she gets more done in less time. She's super efficient. So it is expensive to hire someone cheaper either because there are going to be like a lot of mistakes made if they don't have a lot of experience that you're going to then have to fix or they're going to work really slow and you're going to end up actually paying the same amount because they take twice as long to do everything. Um, There's just so many or like they are frustrating to work with because they're not very proactive. There are so many things that come with like just hiring the cheapest person. And sometimes that's going to be okay. Like if you have, let's say a, a data transfer task, like we're looking at potentially moving our course hub to another platform. That's something that like you could hire maybe someone on five or four. And that's just like very much kind of busy work, right? Like someone like that, Maybe. 
that's where I would look at hiring someone cheaper. But for your like core team members, I would not be trying to find the cheapest option possible. That is for sure. And the last lesson that I've had to learn is that you should hire slow and fire fast. And this is like a common saying, but it is rang so true for me. Hiring slow, I already kind of uh, alluded to of making sure that when you hire, you have multiple good candidates. You really make sure someone's a good fit, not from just like a competency and skill perspective, also a culture perspective, a work ethic perspective, a personality perspective, all the things, but fire faster when it's not working. There have been many times actually over the years where I have really loved someone as a person, or I have really enjoyed our meetings, or I have given someone a lot of chances because I believe in their potential and I know that they are capable of doing an amazing job, but they're just not, or they're just not delivering on the results that they should be. And I give them too many chances. I give them too much time to see if hopefully it works out. And whenever you take too long to fire, it is a huge opportunity cost because if you had the best person for the job in that role, let's say it takes me three months <laughs> to fire someone who as once I know that like, mm, they're not quite hitting the mark. They're not quite reaching the standard that they need to be reaching. Let's say I give them a three month kind of grace period before I finally fire them. If I would have plugged someone in that was hitting the standard for those three months, we would have been so much farther ahead. So waiting to fire has this massive opportunity cost and really slows you down. And especially in business, just momentum is everything. And so that has been a big lesson that I have learned multiple times. <laughs> and I am hoping that I have fully integrated that lesson at this point, because it is a painful one to have to revisit. But that is going to take us to the end of this episode. This, I like literally planned for it to be like a 20 minute episode. I thought, you know, this will be like pretty straightforward, but turns out I had a lot to say. I had a lot to share. So I hope this was valuable to you. I hope this gave you some more context of what your team could look like. This is one example of what your team could look like as you scale your business. All of my clients have different business models. So their teams look different than my team. Their roles and responsibilities look different than ours. But this is one example, one iteration of how it could look and gives you something to aspire to, hopefully, because if you want the big business, if you want to be a seven-figure CEO, if you want to be a multiple six-figure CEO, whatever it is, you can do it. I believe in you. It's completely possible. It requires the right strategies. It requires the right support. It requires the right mentorship, but it's totally doable if that's what you desire. So thank you so, so much for listening in to this episode. If you're curious what it would look like to work together in 2024, I just made a new pinned post over on Instagram explaining what offers are available, how to inquire, who they're for, um, literally just giving you a breakdown of 2024 options. And if you lock in your spot before the clock strikes midnight on New Year's Eve, I have some juicy bonuses for you. So you can set a January start date, lock in your spot now, lock in bonuses, lock in the current pricing, all the things. I would love to help you reach your biggest, baddest goals. And I so appreciate you. Thanks for tuning in. I will see you again next week. Until next time, keep making bank. 